Grace, thank you very much. That's brilliant. Now, I need to start this morning by making a statement. I've spoken to Justine. I was out speaking a few weeks ago and John Cook was here to talk about the Black Country Food Bank. He planned to play a video, but I've heard there was a problem. And in my absence, I got the blame. <laughs> and I feel I need to clear my name. <laughs> the link to the video was emailed to me. I downloaded it. And the week before John came, Dave and I loaded it onto the laptop. Name the file, John Cook, and the date it was to be played. And I let him know it was all sorted. Apparently, on the day, John didn't check the video was ready to be played until he got up. And to hide his embarrassment, he laid the blame at my feet. <laughs> John, speaking from his hospital bed, <laughs> would like to apologise for his misleading comments and he has agreed to make a sizeable contribution to Black Country Food Bank as a goodwill gesture. Can we play the video, please, Joe? Yay? Yeah. It's the first video. It's destined not to be seen, isn't it, this? Oh, here we are. I've become a single mum and struggled with bills and things and someone told me that Brawley Hill Project, they had a food bank scheme there and that I could get food. At first I wouldn't go. I felt like, oh, what are people going to think if I go there for food and things? There come a time and I thought, I'll have to go there. I need to feed my children. I need to sort these bills out. So I, I ended up at the food bank and I actually was given food. It was quite a relaxed atmosphere. People was all happy and asking how you are and would I like a drink and um, basically conversational with you. They're really nice people, happy to talk about anything with you. I never made the decision to go to the food bank and find the support there that I did. I don't think I'd have had a family. I think I would have got depressed and I don't know where I'd have ended up, but I wouldn't have ended up in a nice place. I know if it weren't for the food bank, we'd have a lot of hungry, hungry people, but honestly, I wish there wasn't a food bank, I wish it hadn't come to that where people have to come and have food donated to them. Ten years, ten years have gone by since Black Country Food Bank started. Originally it was intended just as a, a stopgap uh, for, for people that were in crisis. A lot's happened in ten years. Um, We've gone from having just one distribution point to having 19 distribution points all around the black country. Through these distribution centres, we manage to feed approximately 20,000 people a year. That's provision of three days, nutritionally balanced food, providing the breathing space to allow those people to get back on the right tracks. In a world where there's lots of bad news, this is a good news thing. 
We want to continue what we do, and we can only do that with your help. You can be part of the Black Country Food Bank story. By giving financially, whether as a one-off donation or by standing order, you can enable the food bank to purchase items to cover any shortages experienced during the year. Financial donations can also assist with the basic running costs, lighting, stationery and diesel for the vans. Every pound you donate enables Black Country Food Bank to continue to help change communities, one family at a time. To find out more, you can email admin at blackcountryfoodbank.org.uk, visit the website, or simply donate through our Just Giving page, justgiving.com forward slash blackcountryfoodbank. Food Bank changed my life, and I would hope that everyone that donates would continue to donate and help. There's other ways to help in the food bank. If you haven't got much, it doesn't matter. The littlest things help people and give people hope for the future. There we go. You've finally seen it. I played that video this morning, not only because it didn't get played a few weeks ago, but also it fits in with the theme for this morning, which is cultivating compassion. Did you know that Friday just gone, the 31st of March, was designated as a national day? Anybody know that? Oh. What was it, John? It was. It was designated as National Kindness Day. If you can have the next slide, please. It was designated National Kindness Day by the Diana Awards. To mark the 20th anniversary of the death of Princess Diana, they want to record 20,000 random acts of kindness throughout 2017. And there's a mechanism where you can go onto their website and record your random acts of kindness. Now, we're a quarter away through the year. They want 20,000. The sharper amongst you will know that a quarter of 20,000 is... Oh, there's nobody sharp here. Uh, 5,000. So a quarter of the way through the year, they want 20,000. How many random acts of kindness do you think have been registered? We could do a bit Bruce Forsyth here. How many do you think? 6,000, lower. 1,000, lower. 400, lower. Higher. Higher. 349. 349. They've got some way to go to meet the target, haven't they? But it struck me, actually, what if the church hijacks that campaign? What if we get Christians all around the country to register every random act of kindness, every food bank donation, every PACE team initiative? We could blow the 20,000 target out of the water, couldn't we? And at the end of the year, when they analyse where all those random acts of kindness have come from, where they've been registered, when they look at who's behind them, what an amazing story about the church in action it would bear witness to. Something to think about, maybe. It says in the Everyday Supernatural book that Jesus fills us with his spirit in order that we might bear witness to him. The Everyday Supernatural life is one given over to sharing Jesus with others, 
And everything we've looked at this series, stepping out when we feel inadequate, choosing obedience, listening to God, praying for healing and operating in the supernatural comes into play here. And you know what? We're called to do that outside of the institution we call the church. I'm sure you'll agree that the movement of the Holy Spirit in our, t- in our gatherings has brought something new, something fresh. It's been great, but it's not something that we should only experience in here. This needs to be a 24-7, world-changing operation. I heard a song recently, and the chorus was, the purpose of power is to give it away. And we're to pass on the power that we have granted to us, to others, sure in the knowledge that we can get it back in multiple measure. And more than something that we should do, it's something that we should be looking to be so full of God, so passionate about, that we can't help but share it with others. And that's called evangelism. As a church, it's in our DNA, isn't it? It's in our original name, Warsaw Evangelistic Centre. And the book, Everyday Supernatural, identifies five types of evangelism. And today, we, I'll, I'll run through all five, but we're going to focus on two in particular. <coughs> the first one is friendship evangelism. This happens person to person, through one-to-one relationships. We witness to people with lives that reflect Jesus and with words that point to him. We are faithful friends and neighbours to others. The second one is proclamation evangelism. This is where the simple message of the gospel is declared, often preached in a church or evangelistic event such as a turning. Or indeed any time we tell someone the good news and the story of salvation. You know, the, there was a bit of a talk sometimes about um, having, having your gospel service at, at six o'clock and you had to have a gospel service at six o'clock. I always wondered why God only stirred people to want to know about him at half past five on a Sunday so I could get to church at six o'clock. I don't know if anybody else thought that at all. There's persuasion evangelism. This focuses more on presenting the evidence for the truth of Jesus' claims. It often accounts for and attempts to respond to commonly asked questions about Christianity. The fourth one is servant evangelism. This is where we choose to be kind and generous, finding ways to serve neighbours, communities. It may be those random acts of kindness, or it may be something more organised, a group planning and implementing a project that makes a difference in the lives to others. And the fifth one is power evangelism. Based on the supernatural works of the Holy Spirit, signs and wonders that testify to God's goodness, mercy and compassion. But all evangelism requires the supernatural power of God. The two we're going to look at this morning are servant evangelism and power evangelism. You know, we've already referenced Food Bank this morning, haven't we? That's servant evangelism. Servant evangelism, it's the big feed. It's street pastors. It's a homeless shelter in Wolverhampton. It's paying for a stranger's groceries, if you recall the video that Kev played a few months ago. It's in the difficult situations that people are in and taking practical steps to help them, to relieve the suffering, to take away misery and to bring joy. A few years ago, Phil Miles helped organise missions in the black country called Revolution. And they were based on servant evangelism. Young people from the black country going out and serving in their communities. Litter picking, gardens clearing, gardens clearing? Garden clearing, clearance. Supporting people in abusive relationships. 
We also did a, a fun event in Warsaw Town Centre one day with balloon modelling and face painting. And one lady approached me and asked, why, we, why are you doing this? And I just said, we're a group of Christians and we want to put a smile on people's faces in Warsaw. That's what we're doing. It wasn't the time to get into the deep and meaningful thing. I've spoken about our, our trip to, to Bethel, New York before. Uh, it got mentioned this morning as, as the guys were setting up. But as I was preparing this, our day on the Bronx came back to mind. We were to spend a day helping on the missions bus, serving soup to folks who hadn't made it in New York. We were stood on the Bronx, in the Bronx waiting for the bus to arrive. They told us, don't take any money, don't take any valuables. But stood there, I thought, the gangsters aren't going to know I've got no money or valuables until they've knocked me out and checked my pockets, are they? <laughs> anyway, we were waiting, the bus was ages. And it actually, it had broken down, and the backup bus had broken down as well. And just as so we stood out that little bit more, Mick and Phil started singing choruses. <laughs> carry on, lads, carry on. Um, just so we stood out that little bit more. Fortunately, Grizz was with us to look after us. After a while, we noticed there was another guy stood by us. He was stood holding a bin bag, a bit scruffy, and a trailer snot ran out his nostril, down his lip, back into his mouth. And he was waiting for the bus too. He was angel, and not word of a lie, he was from Harlem. He was literally angel of Harlem for any U2 fans. When he started speaking, it was obvious that Angel had some sort of learning disability or brain injury. His speech was slow, he stuttered, and he repeated himself. My, 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 my name, Angel. That, that's how he spoke. Eventually a bus arrived, and they asked a couple of us to take Angel to get his washing done that was in his back. I thought, yeah, I can do that, I can go in laundry, I can do that. And, and Mark Richards, remember Mark? He agreed to come as well. It was at that stage that the bus leader whispered, let, let him put the contents of the bag in the machine because sometimes the bedclothes can be a bit messy. Oh, okay. Okay. So off we went and got to the laundrette. Washing went in the machine. We got to know Angel a bit, find out a bit about him. Um... Found out his mum was sick, he was struggling. He laughed at our accents. But the washing got done. And uh, there was a miracle at one point because he was drinking a bottle of Pepsi and he put it down somewhere, he turned around and then he couldn't find it. And all of a sudden he stuttered, went, where's my soda? <laughs> anyway, we went back to the bus. Angel's washing had been done, it, it had been paid for. He'd been fed, along with numerous other people, by others wanting to demonstrate Jesus' compassion. You know, Angel later moved into Bethel to get himself sorted out. It's a quick example of servant evangelism. And you know, Jesus was very interested in servant evangelism. Matthew 25, 34 to 40, passage titled, The Sheep and the Goats. 
Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to drink, to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you do, did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You know, if you look at the Gospels in the NIV version, Jesus is described as having compassion for others on four or five occasions. On one of those occasions, it was around the feeding of the 4,000. He had compassion because the crowd had been following him for three days and they were hungry. And he served, he, he delivered their practical needs through supernatural acts. Just going back to that food bank video for one second, the lady featured, she went to food bank because she had a very practical need. She needed food. What John told me from his hospital bed was that she is now a Christian and she's part of a church congregation because she got access to food through food bank. Now, in preparing this, I feel I need to say here that non-Christians can be kind too and they can be compassionate. And I think sometimes as a church we can be quite glib about that. I don't think it was only Christians who raised 71 million for Comet Relief last week. And it certainly wasn't only Christians who put donations in the food bank box that I put in the Warsaw Probation Office. The difference, well, as Christians, we must have compassion. I remember one speaker telling the church I was at about how his church was showing compassion for the most needy in society. And he commented, if you don't have compassion for these people, I'd question whether you're really saved. Now, I knew what he meant, but some folks misunderstood. Some got a bit offended. And the following week, the church leader did a little bit confirming that we're not saved by works. It's only by belief in Jesus and giving our lives to him. And that is definitely true. We're not saved by works. And however that may make us, however uncomfortable that may make us, there may well be a lot of good people who we don't see in heaven because I've not made a decision to follow Jesus. But you know what? If you do profess to be a Christian this morning and you don't have compassion, come and see me later. I'm not going to put you in hospital, don't worry. <laughs> I thought that was a bit threatening then. <laughs> For a Christian, demonstrating servant evangelism is being motivated by a desire to see the kingdom of God established here on earth as it is in heaven. We serve because that's what Jesus taught. We want people's situations here on earth to be improved. But you know what? We've also got a compassion for their internal destiny. As Christians, we can pray that we see them as God sees them. Whole, beautiful, perfect. We're not motivated just by their current situation and difficulties, but by the potential that we see in them to be released. If we serve a hungry, homeless man a meal and it stops him being hungry, thank you, Lord, for your provision and blessing us to be able to serve him. If because of that simple act, he comes to know that he's an adopted 
heir of the King of Kings, fantastic, brilliant. We don't withhold the soup until he said the sinner's prayer, do we? Hopefully as we serve, they will know us by our love. It will be attractive and it will be something that they want as well. But maybe this morning you're sat there thinking, well actually, I'm the poor. I can't give to food bank. I need to take from food bank. I need to receive from food bank. And if that is you this morning, then we pray that that's only a temporary situation. But more than that, if that is you, if you are struggling with any situation, please come and see myself, see Kelsey, Rachel at the end and we'll get you connected with the support that you need. And you know what? Take heart. You might not be able to give. I said at the end of the video, just give something little. It may be that you don't feel you can give something little. It may be that you can't volunteer the time to serve others. But you know what? We read in the Bible that you can still show compassion and you can still bless others. As we move on to power evangelism, remember what Roy said a couple of weeks ago. We all get to play. In Acts 3 we read, One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at the man, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Peter and John had no money, but they were able to show compassion and release God's blessing there. That's power evangelism. What I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. On another couple of occasions in the gospel when Jesus is said to have felt compassion, it's around sickness. In Matthew 14, we read that Jesus landed and saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. In Matthew 20, 34, Jesus is stopped by two blind men outside Jericho and we read that Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. I've got a friend who I'd, I'd described as a thawing atheist and one day a few years ago he told me his dad had been diagnosed with skin cancer. Well, we were good mates but he was a kind of full-on atheist then. He's mellowed a bit. So I took a gulp and I said, I know you don't believe, but I'll pray for your dad that he gets healed. Thanks, came the reply. Well, his dad did get over the cancer. Was it prayer? Was it the skill of the surgeon? Did God send the right surgeon because I prayed? Who knows? But my mate's dad was healed after he was prayed for. Power evangelism or evangelism through the demonstration of God's supernatural power can seem a little scary, can't it? 
it can be daunting sometimes to pray for people that we know, let alone pray for people that are walking up to complete strangers and praying for them. If that's you and you fear that you're worried that fear is going to take the get the better of you, pray for boldness. Pray for boldness and know that when God sends us to do something, He equips us for that task as well. Know that we step out in the authority of Jesus and the power of the Spirit. That should give us a bit more confidence, shouldn't it? You know, if you read the book, it, it suggests that you start practicing that power evangelism just with people that you're already connected with. People that you've known for years. But you know what? Expect to be used by God because you can be the agent of change wherever you go. We've got the turning coming up. We've heard about it this morning. An excellent opportunity to start practicing some of this. It's most likely that we've looked at the models that initially this is going to be about proclamation evangelism or maybe persuasion evangelism. But you know what? There's going to be a call for power evangelism in that as well. What testimonies could we have coming back as people get healed on the streets? The NHS overrun with returned equipment. People no longer need because they've been healed. I read that there was a move of God in Belfast and the, the dockers got convicted and took back all the tools that they'd taken. And they had to build new sheds to accommodate all the tools. And in the end, they had to say, keep them. We can't accommodate them all, keep them. So, this morning, we're approaching the end of our Passionate Life series, aren't we? It's the penultimate week. It'll soon be Christmas. Uh, I've seen who was here in the first week. If you don't get that, then you should have been here in week one. But just pause for a moment. What have you taken from this series? How has it impacted you? Has anything changed? Well, a few weeks ago, I had to go to Leicester on two consecutive days. Um, you didn't see it on Facebook. I didn't feel the need to take selfies and share it. It wasn't like Downing Street or anything like that at all. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. You have to keep him humble, don't you? <laughs> if you don't know, Kev was at Downing Street this week. Anyway, trying to less so. I was, I was reading the book. He'll get me back at some stage. As I got on the train, I was looking at the book. I wondered if there's going to be any of those chance meetings that he described. Would God send someone to sit next to me on the train, someone opposite who I was to speak to? And on the train back on the second day, I got on and there was a guy sat around the table. He took up three of the seats and took up the whole table. He was sat on one, his feet were on another, his bags were on the third. Papers spread across the table, but just enough space so as not to disturb his can of carlin and his tobacco tin. So I went and sat somewhere else. <laughs> as the train left, he got up and he got down quite a lot. I remember thinking, I don't think that can of Collins is first. And when the refreshment trolley came round, um, the member of staff uh, said, do you like anything? He said, uh, another can of Collins. And he says, you've bought me out, actually. I've got no Collins left. W would Foster's do? He wasn't fussed. This guy, though, had my attention. 
Was I to speak to him? Was I not? Anyway, as I'm sat there, and mm, he started talking to the lady sat behind me. And I wouldn't say that he was drunk, but his tongue had been loosened. Nice day, you're beautiful sunshine. Where are you going? Where have you come from? Now, he said he'd come from a place called High Point in Suffolk. And a little bell rang in my head. I'm sure that's prison. And no, he didn't say, I've come from Her Majesty's prison. High Point, he just said High Point. Anyway, I thought, okay. Anyway, the conversation continued. And he said to this lady, I'll be honest with you, High Point's a prison. I've come out after three years. He said he was off to Liverpool to meet up with his partner. She'd relocated there with the kids and they were all going to have a fresh start up there together. He was really enthusiastic about seeing his families. He'd not seen them for 12 months. They moved up to Liverpool and he said it's too far and he'd, he'd not seen his family for 12 months. Meanwhile, I'm sat there thinking, three years in prison, that, that's some serious time. Now, I'm sure his release had been completely, fully, properly managed, that everybody knew where he was going, there was a license in place, he was subject to probation, supervision. I'm sure everything was there. All the checks would have taken place. But you know what, I thought, if I start talking to him and I hear something that causes me a problem, I'm going to have to do something about it. I'm in a bit of a tricky spot, potentially. So we got into New Street, he got his train to Liverpool, and I got mine to Wolverhampton. Now, I didn't have anything specific that I felt God had given me to say to him, but he got my attention. And I was left feeling a bit, was that a wasted opportunity? Had I let fear get in the way? And I just had to pray, and I've prayed since, Lord, if I was supposed to talk to that guy, I'm sorry. Bless him, bless his family. Keep your hand of protection on them. Let this be the fresh start that he was describing. I was leading the following Sunday, and I have to admit, it was on my mind a little bit. Passionate Life Series, Monday Church Leaders, and you didn't speak to that guy. The service started, and during the second song, my attention is, is drawn to one man in the congregation, and I know that he needs prayer. Everybody's worshipping. I tried to get some people's attention. Everybody's worshipping. So I look for the guy with the shortest attention span, Phil Miles, and I ask him to go and get Kev. I explain to Kev, and Kev goes and prays for the guy. I spoke to the guy afterwards, and he says, yeah, I needed prayer today. Thank you, Lord. Although I was feeling a bit, a bit useless, God demonstrated he wasn't going to stop talking to me because I may have not been obedient in speaking to the guy on the train. Well, why do I tell you that? Well, to reinforce that even if we think that we've messed up, if we've missed an opportunity, don't get despondent. Keep asking God to use you to bless others in whatever way that they need. Keep asking to find your woman, your Samaritan woman, Samaritan woman at the well, like Jesus did in John 4. It may be a very good friend, who you need to speak to. It may be a work colleague. It may be a complete stranger. You know what? There's some studies that say children are more compassionate than adults. As we develop, it's something that we neglect. 
And my mum has a story which she, she tells sometimes about <coughs> following the death of her uncle. My nan was crying. She'd lost a brother. Now, my nan died when I was four, so that'll give you an idea of my age. My nan was crying, so I went up and offered her my teddy bear to make everything better. Now, if I was to walk around with a teddy bear today and hand it to everybody that looked upset, Aaron would laugh for a start. I'd get some funny looks, wouldn't I? <laughs> but, you know, this morning... How we demonstrate compassion will look different to how a child does. But let's crave that childlike compassion. Let's look for the commonalities that we have with people. See what connects us rather than what separates us. Because you know what, it's, it's a bit easier to, to show compassion to someone that you have a connection with, you have similarities with. The story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman, they shared a thirst for starters. And remember, it's only by grace that we are here today. I want to finish this morning by showing a video and then the team's going to um, kind of perform a song that, that Becky wrote which came to mind as I prepared this. The story, well the video, it's a story I, I heard about 15 years ago but apparently it comes back from 1983 and I just think it brilliantly illustrates the compassion that we should have for others and how we can be prompted by the Holy Spirit to do very ordinary things to show compassion to others. If you go to Honolulu from the East Coast, those of you who have been there know that you wake up like at 3 o'clock in the morning and you can't get back to sleep. And I'm, I'm hungry. And I, I went looking for something to eat. And even at that wee hour of the morning in a bustling city like Honolulu, you can't find a place that's open. But up a side street, I did find a place. I went in, sat down on the stool... It was a greasy spoon, no booze, just a row of stools in front of the counter. And, and this fat guy with a dirty, filthy, greasy apron came out, pulled his cigar out, put it down, and said, what do you want? I didn't touch the menu. It was one of those plastic menus that grease had piled up on it. And I knew that if I opened it, something extraterrestrial would crawl out. And so like a cup of coffee and a donut. So he poured the coffee, and then he did this. And he picked up the donut. <laughs> I hate that. So I'm sitting there, 3.30 in the morning, drinking my coffee and eating this dirty donut. Into the room come about eight or nine prostitutes, and they sat down on either side of me. And I tried to disappear. And the one on my immediate right, said, tomorrow's my birthday, she said to her friend. I'm going to be 39. Her friend said, so what do you want me to do? Sing happy birthday? You want a cake? What, do you, what should we do? Have a party for you? You're going to be 39. First woman said, look, I don't, I'm not expecting anything. I just, why do you have to put me down? And then she said, with a crack in her voice, I've never had a birthday party in my whole life. I don't expect to have one now. That did it. I waited till." You know, till they all left, and I was the only one left. I called Harry over. I said, do they come in here every night? He said, yeah. I said, the one next to me? He said, Agnes. I said, tomorrow's her birthday. 
What do you say we decorate the place? And when she comes in tomorrow, we have a birthday party for her because I heard her say she's never had a birthday party in her whole life. He said, Mr., that's brilliant. That is brilliant. Jane, he called his wife out of the back room. She did the cooking. He wants to throw a birthday party for Agnes. I thought, jeez, this is great. She comes out. She grabs my hand. She says, Mr., you wouldn't understand this because of what she does, you know, but she's one of the kind people in this town. She's one of the caring people in this town. I said, uh, look, can I, can I decorate the place? She said, to your heart's content. I said, I'm going to bring a birthday cake. Harry said, oh, no, the cake's my thing. I thought, oh, jeez, you know. Oh. <laughs> so I got there the next morning. I got there the next morning at about 2.30. I had bought crepe paper at the Kmart, strung it across the plate, place, made a big sign that said, happy birthday, Agnes, put it on the mirror behind the counter. I had the place spruced. Jane, who got, does the cooking, got the word out on the street so that by 3.15, every prostitute in Honolulu was squeezed into this place. I mean, people, it was wall-to-wall -wall prostitutes and me. 3.30 in the morning, the door opens. In comes Agnes and her friends. I got everybody poised, everybody ready. The minute she walks through the door, we yell, Happy birthday, Agnes, and all start cheering like mad. I've never seen anybody so stunned in my life. Her knees buckled. They steadied her and got her and sat her down on a chair. And We started singing, happy birthday, happy birthday, happy birthday, dear Agnes. And when they brought out the cake, she lost it and started to cry. Harry just stood there with the cake and finally he said, all right, Agnes, knock it off. <laughs> blow out the candles, Agnes. Come on, blow out the candles. She tried and she couldn't, so he blew out the candles and handed her the knife and said, now cut the cake. Come on now, cut the cake. She sat there for a long moment, and then she said to me, is it all right if I don't cut the cake? She said, what I'd really like to do is take the cake home and show it to my mother. I said, it's your cake. She stood up. I said, do you have to do it now? She said, I live two doors down. Let me take the cake home. I'll bring it right back. I promise. She picked up the cake. She pushed through the crowd and out the door. And as the door swung slowly shut, dead silence, the whole group was stunned. I didn't know what to say. Finally, after a few uneasy moments, I said, what do you say we pray? It's weird looking back on it now. <laughs> a sociologist leading a prayer meeting with a bunch of prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning in a diner in Honolulu was the right thing to do, and I prayed that God would deliver her from what dirty, filthy men had done to her, usually starting like it, you know, when they're about 12 or 13, and, and then they're ruined and hurt. And when I finished praying that God would make her new, that God would give her back everything that had been taken from her, I said amen and lifted my eyes, and Harry was right in my face. He said, hey, Camp Paulo, you told me you were a sociologist. You're no sociologist. You're a preacher. What kind of church you belong to? And one of those moments when you come up with just the right words, I said, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for whores at 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> I thought that was a clever answer. <laughs> I'll never forget his response. 
He looked back and he said, no, you don't. No, you don't. He said, I would join a church like that. <laughs> Wouldn't we all? Wouldn't we all join a church that threw birthday parties for whores at 3.30 in the morning? I got news for you. That is the kind of church that Jesus came to create. He came to create a church that was filled with people that move out into the world and bring celebration and joy into the lives of those who have nothing to celebrate and have no joy, to bring celebration to those who are brokenhearted and beaten down, to lift them up and give them some joy in their life. That's what you are called to do. You are called to be agents of God, to spread His love and His joy into a loveless and joyless world. That's what you're called to do. And if you surrender to Christ and let Him cleanse you and let the Spirit fill within you, His Spirit will constrain you, says Scripture, constrain you, drive you to do loving and joyful things in a world devoid of joy and love. Do you hear me? Okay. Um, I'm going to ask the team to come up now. Uh, Becky's going to lead a, a song that she wrote. I said it came to mind as preparing this morning. Um, but you know what? The world that we live in, it's full of weary, tired, may feel defeated people. And we need to pray. We need to pray that God will open our eyes to see others as he does. We need to pray for compassion, for boldness, for sickness. This morning, if, if you need boldness, if you feel that, oh, I can't do this, if you're sick... If you don't yet know God at all, I'm giving this time now. As the band play, just come forward and, and, and we'll pray for you this morning.
in tongues like two weeks ago and we've obviously done the Compassionate Life series in our home group and we've been praying for gifts. So I actually had the interpretation for that about two weeks ago but was too scared to come out to the front. But I wrote it all down two weeks ago and reading what I've read now, I think it really fits in with this. So this was the interpretation of the tongues. How? How do you not see what I see? How do you not have compassion that I have? The most lowly people that you see, the people that repulse you, the people that annoy you, the people that get right under your skin, not purely the poor, but the rich too, whose spirit is not just. I have compassion for, I have love for, and I want you to reach. I want you to love people like I do, and I want you to minister to them. Thanks, Rachel. So, Lord, we we do pray for that compassion that you can give, Lord. Lord, we can all be moved by what we see day to day, but, Lord, give us that deep sense of compassion. Let us see people as you see them. Lord, give us boldness to step out. Lord, give us boldness to speak to the guys on the train. Father, we thank you for what you're doing with us as a church. Lord, just keep pouring out your spirit on us. Just keep stirring up the passion in us. Lord, so that we can't help but go and love the unloved, the least and the last. Amen.